Hello and welcome to Take It or Leave It. It's a Christian podcast to encourage us all to implement real change in our lives based on the teachings of Jesus so that when the rapture occurs, we may all be caught up to meet Jesus Christ in the air. It's about spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. I'm your host, Madison Santiago. Hello and welcome back to Take It or Leave It. I'm very excited to continue the conversation around how critical it is to serve the Lord with fear and trembling. Now, this is part three, so if you have not listened to parts one and two, I highly encourage you to pause right now, go listen to parts one and two, and then pick up right here where you left off. I am going to jump into part three with a high-level overview of what we have already discussed. So if you were taking notes in part one and two, you will have noted that God is not a fighter. We should not be imagining God as if he's taking punches from the enemy. Remember Aaron and his snake and it ate the other snakes? God will eat the power of the enemy. He doesn't spar, right? He's not taking punches. It's not, it's not like a boxing match where you're on the edge of your seat. Who's going to win? Who's going to win? No, God wins and he is winning. Amen? At this point, we should all understand fearing and trembling is a necessity to serve God. Necessity. Must have. Gotta have it. You need it. Amen? So we understand also that we need to work out our salvation. So yes, Jesus died for us. Yes, he made a way for us. But there are things that we must do to claim salvation in eternity with him. So when Paul told us to work out our salvation, he didn't mean do works to be sure that you're saved, right? He didn't tell the church, have all these activities and programs, stay busy so that you can be saved. No, no, that's not what that means. That's not how you get to salvation. It means work it out for yourself. Labor after the Lord. Do the things he says in obedience and submission, right? It's a great responsibility to teach the correct message of fearing and trembling and we want to be sure that our teaching is correct so remember a true follower of Jesus is in continuous fear in the Lord with trembling this is not a Sunday thing right it's an everyday thing waking up fearing the Lord such a deep reverence such a deep respect with trembling shaking he is the one who can cast the soul into hell We want to make him happy, right? And remember, trembling, it's linked to the word temel, which is earthquake. So it means shaking, like physically your legs shaking. You know, I can remember the first time I was slain in the Holy Spirit. You see this happen on TV all the time. And sometimes even at events that you may attend, people might fall out in the spirit. What do I mean? They they physically fall down. They cannot withstand the Holy Spirit presence. And I remember when I was younger, uh, I wasn't even fully committed to the Lord yet. And I was at what seemed to be like a healing service. And many people were falling out in the spirit. And I thought in my head, I don't know if that's real. I think maybe they're acting. So I asked God in that moment, Lord, if that's real, will you let that happen to me? And in that moment, the speaker, who was a very well-known speaker, he looked at me in the face. And I was in the middle of a section surrounded by others, but he looked at me and he didn't call me out. He called out my section. So he asked us all to stand up and hold hands because he wanted to impart something in us. And 
In that moment, the Holy Spirit came over us and my legs trembled and they buckled underneath me and we all fell back into our chairs. And that's when I knew this is real. This is real. God is real. The Holy Spirit presence is real and my body cannot withstand it. It's trembling. <laughs> Amen. We've also learned that humility is the fear of the Lord. We read that in Proverbs 22, 4. I'm not going to read that right now, but if you want to revisit that, that's Proverbs 22, verse 4. And remember about humility. It's not about being a nice guy, right? When you're a Christian, it doesn't mean we're nice girls and boys. It's about being humble, but humble doesn't mean being quiet. So what does humility look like? Did you know in some cultures, it's disrespectful to look at an elder or superior in the eyes. This is a sign of respect. It's fear. It's reverence. Cautiousness. You don't want them to be upset with you, right? So likewise, when we serve the Lord and we're humble before the Lord, we are the most respectful with reverence, cautious, wanting to be obedient and precise to everything that he says. We also learn that those who fear the Lord get zero chastisement, but abounding spiritual direction. We read that in John 10, 27 to 30. And we talked about not every Christian gets a lot of spanks. Some just get one and then they learn immediately and they correct their behavior. Amen. That's how it ought to be. Those who fear the Lord, they don't get disciplined. Why? Because they're not sinning. Would you discipline a child who does not make a mistake or act in disobedience? No. And our God is the same. Why not? Why not discipline them? Because they're making you happy. Likewise, Jesus is happy with those who fear him. You know, the holy fear of the Lord opens the person's opportunity to salvation. This is why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not all there is. It's just the beginning. You need to have the fear of the Lord. Whoever believes in God without fear is going to get in trouble. Also, as a reminder, we all must be convinced of hell so we can understand the bad news, right? What's the bad news? What do I mean by that? The consequence. What did Jesus save us from? Why did he have to die? The church needs to discuss hell more so the people will know this bad news and that they'll fear the bad news and begin to believe in Jesus, the Savior. We talked before about a doctor providing a diagnosis, right? If the doctor tells you, hey, you're well on your way to to contract this disease, this disease is developing, but here are the things that you can do to prevent it. Will that person not fear the bad news and want to do everything right from there so that they can avoid the consequence? Amen. The same thing. The church really needs to talk about hell and they don't talk about hell for fear of the people not coming back or for the fear of deterring people. But God taught us about hell. He wants us to know about this. There is a reason that he died for us. He wanted to save us from this, right? So the holy fear of the Lord opens the person's opportunity to salvation. So again, when Paul taught us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling in Philippians 2 verse 12, it doesn't mean to do works. It means you better be sure. You must be the one to do the labor. Don't believe the one who assures you that you are saved. Don't believe them. You are the only one who's going to have an idea. And of course, Jesus commanded us to fear him. We're not doing this on a volunteer basis. It's a commandment. Amen. And we referenced this before, but in Luke 12, 4, 5, it says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body. Fear him. That's a capital H. Why? Why fear him? Because he can cast into hell. Who are we talking about? 
Jesus, of course. Fear Jesus. Jesus said, fear Jesus. Fear him. If you would be afraid of the one who's walking towards you with a bomb strapped to their chest, you better fear the Lord more. Amen? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is in Psalms 111, verse 10. We also read Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Fear is the beginning of knowledge. If you don't fear, you don't get knowledge. Amen. We also read Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 18. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. We talked about this. Why do they increase sorrow? Isn't increasing knowledge good? So why do you also increase sorrow? Because once your eyes are open, the more wisdom you have, the more knowledge of the condition of this world, the more you see and the more sad you will become because people are on a path to hell. People don't want to listen. Amen. So it causes great sorrow. Today in part three, I want to stress how critical it is that we understand the Bible words that we are reading. We need to have a true understanding and we need to understand the definition which is derived by the exemplifications. What do I mean by that? We need to understand what does this word mean and how is it being used in the Bible? Words are defined from examples. The meaning of a word is to be understood by the examples in which the word is being used, amen? So, to derive the closest definition of a Bible word, the word must be searched in its every occurrence and in each occurrence must be noted the use of it. Right? So based on the usage, in all occurrences, a definition or meaning is derived. You might have an idea of what I'm referring to, but I am referring to a Strong's Concordance. This book exists because the original languages of the book, the Old Testament, is in Hebrews and the New Testament is in Greek. And scholars, they use the New King James Version to study and define these words so that we can have an understanding. So it's up to you and me, led by the Holy Spirit, to understand how a word is being used in a sentence or story so we can truly understand the meaning. Why do we want to understand the meaning? Because we want to implement change in our life. Not only that, we want to be equipped to teach it. We want to teach the right meaning. We don't want to mislead anybody. And in the Strong's Concordance, this has been completed for words from Genesis to Revelation, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Amen? So it's there. It's there for us. So for example, the word love is listed hundreds of times. And a concordance lists all the meanings of love. So in English, for example, there's just love. We can say love. However, in Hebrew and Greek, there may be several words that mean love, all different kinds of love. So for example, the kind of love that you love your spouse, the kind of love that you love God, all defined. Now, just a word of caution, when you are touched by the Holy Spirit to study a specific word like love, it takes time. It takes time because you should read all the verses to truly understand it. But today it's even easier because we have computers. Now, I don't mean Google the word. I mean, there's concordance apps that can help you easily locate things faster. It's going to tell you all the mentions and all the specific verses in which you can find the word that you're studying. So today you can identify that certain versions of the Bible eliminate and misinterpret the word of God. So for example, if you read NIV and compare it to King James Version, you're going to see quite a few discrepancies. And this is not a podcast to uncover those, and many people have already done that. But 
I'm telling you, it is up to you and I to work out our own salvation and to ensure that we're reading the right version. Me personally, I recommend King James Version of the Bible because this is the one used by scholars. It's the one tied to the concordance. And you can confirm this yourself right on the publisher preface page at the beginning of your concordance book. We need to look up the words. So if the word of God says that we must work out our salvation, this means we need to make sure we are being taught by a person who fears the Lord. Failure to do that is going to set us up for failure. If we fear the Lord, we will ensure of our understanding. So when we look into the concordance, you'll notice numbers that are tied to mentions of a specific word. And those numbers lead you to a definition of that specific word. Many today will just quote the author, they'll just quote their pastor, they'll just quote somebody on the street where they heard this, rather than teaching themselves, working out their own salvation, rather than being led by the Holy Spirit, rather than taking time and taking notes and really dissecting these verses. They would rather quote somebody who could be wrong rather than be sure themselves. Amen. Make yourself an approved worker of God and rightly divide the word. Specifically, that's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. And it says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is our responsibility. It is up to the teacher to make sure that they release the right message. So I'll make it personal. It's up to me right now to release the right message to you or I risk misleading you. And surely I am accountable for that. I will need to speak to that. I'll give you another example to fully understand the use of the concordance and why it's important. So many people say, just wait upon the Lord. Have you heard that? I've heard that. Just wait upon the Lord. And if you don't study the word, you're going to think that wait means to do nothing. Haven't you heard the person who says, oh, in God's time, I'm just waiting on the Lord. That's not scriptural. It's not scriptural to do nothing. Whenever you use the concordance, you can define the meaning of wait. So in Isaiah 40, verse 31, it says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So again, this does not mean do nothing. When you look up weight, so in your concordance, you can look up weight. You can see all the mentions. You can locate Isaiah 40, and it's going to be tied to a number. That number is 6960. Now, Isaiah is in the Old Testament, so we know that that was written in Hebrew. So you can flip to the back of your concordance to the Hebrew dictionary, and you can look for 6960. It's going to take you to a Hebrew word. It sounds like kava right? And the root meaning means to bind together by twisting. So when we read, but those who wait on the Lord, it doesn't mean do nothing. It means for those who bind themselves together by twisting with the Lord. And I'll give you an example to illustrate this. Imagine two strings, begin to twist those strings together. Eventually through twisting and twisting, it becomes one rope. It's stronger, but it's one and it's twisted together. That is how we ought to be with the Lord. We should be one with the Lord, twisted together. Kava. We can expect these things, and by these things, I mean we can expect to be mounted up 
with wings like eagles. We can expect to run and not be weary. We can expect to walk and not faint. Why? Because we are bind together. We're binded together with the Lord. Amen? So again, it's the duty of the person. So it's my responsibility and it's your responsibility to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And it's our responsibility. It's our duty. We are accountable to make sure that we have the right understanding of the teachings in the Bible. The response of a person to the teachings in the Bible is dependent on that person's understanding. And I also want to add here that someone, some teachers, some pastors, they might do everything right. You and I might divide the word correctly to have the right understanding. And even then, still the people will not respond. Why is this? Because they need to work out their own salvation. Amen. Imagine Jesus. He was right. He was right all the time. And still, even he had few disciples with him, few people responding to the truth. It is essential for a teacher, a preacher, a pastor to diligently study and teach the word of God to the roots of its meaning. This is not something where any teacher, preacher, or pastor should be Googling lesson plans. They should not be Googling lesson plans. They shouldn't be spending one hour maximum right? It's their responsibility to study. This takes hours throughout the week. It's true. So again, there are those who hear the word who despite, despite the preachers and teachers diligent study and teaching of the word correctly, these people reject the truth because they do not qualify or they choose rather to believe the teaching that they do not qualify for. They will adjust it so that they can qualify. So what do I mean by this? I mean, they hear the truth. They hear the truth, the word of God preached and teached to the standard. But instead of obeying, they will lower the standard of the word of God so that they can feel like they qualify. You understand what I'm saying? They'll take bits and pieces until it makes sense for their life. They'll justify it, right? There's a reason why the word is raised up. It is above us, right? That's why the word of God is raised up. So people will bring that down so that they can feel worthy of his glory. So they can feel worthy of his promises. And notice I'm saying that they can feel this way. I'm not saying that they get it or they are worthy. We can really deceive ourselves. It's important when you hear the word of God that you're not deceiving yourself. Sometimes it's automatic. Our, our minds will just override the truth because we want to feel worthy. It's a natural response. So it's important that we remain sensitive when the word is being preached to us and we're learning and that we chew on it and truly understand what it is that we are learning and that we implement it into our life. Amen. Remember in Psalms 119, 105, it says your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So it's specifically saying a lamp. Right? When I think of a lamp in my house, that's not a super bright thing. I still need light. If I go too far from the lamp, it no longer lights up what I need it to. So we need to be careful. We need to be careful. We need to walk precisely. We need to be sensitive to the Lord. Amen? And when we fear the Lord, He will guide us. Let's talk about the main topic today. And that's going to be the parable of the talents. 
I want to take you to Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. And it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Verse 16, Then he who had received the five talents went and traded them and made another five talents. 17, And likewise he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Verse 20, So he who had received five came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Verse 22, He who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Verse 24, Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. Verse 29, For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen. So that is the parable of the talents. And this parable can be related directly to Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. And remember, the kingdom of heaven is on earth. So if you are a true follower of Jesus, then you are part of the kingdom of heaven. Amen? You may have read this and studied this parable before, and it's commonly taught to push people to do things for God, which is a good thing. But there are many things to be learned here. When we read this parable, we believe that Jesus is coming back just as the master came back. You and I are going to give account to Jesus of how we invested this life for the growth of the kingdom. So the master came back to collect interest from the servants. He was looking for the evidence. He was looking for the fruits. Amen. Likewise, Jesus is going to come back and say, what did you do for me? Everyone, you, me, every single person we've ever seen, they're going to have to give account to Jesus on how they lived this life and how they invested in the kingdom of heaven. But how does this relate to fearing the Lord? Let's talk about that. We learn in this parable of two different styles amongst the servants, and I want you to be able to identify which one you are by the end of this podcast. And remember, I'm not the one who's going to tell you which one you are. You are the one who is working out your own salvation. You are the one who's going to have some sort of idea. So there's style one. We have productive servants. Two of the three servants were producing and bearing fruits. They have visible results of how they invested their talents. Specifically, they doubled their talents. 
the one with five produced five more, and the one with two produced two more. And then there's style two, unproductive servant. One of the three servants was unproductive. He was given one talent and he produced no more, no fruits. I want you to note here that there was a minimum and a maximum amount of talents given. So specifically in this example, there's five compared to one. So with this range, we can understand not that everyone gets five talents and then someone gets two and someone gets one, not that five is the max, but we can understand that we're all given at least one. We're all given at least one talent to invest in the kingdom of heaven based on our ability. We have to belong in the service, right? So we have at least one talent. In other words, we are all given an ability or abilities that are meant to invest in the kingdom for his purpose, for God's purpose, for our own good. And we use those abilities to work out our own salvation. You see, in this parable, the master knew the ability of the three servants. He was a fair master. He did not give five talents to the one who could only handle two. And he did not give just two to the one who could handle five, because then that would be too easy. He was fair in the distribution of talents. What I'm trying to highlight here is that God is fair. We serve a righteous God. And Jesus gives according to our abilities. He doesn't set us up to fail. Rather, he equips us with ability to invest in the kingdom of heaven. Imagine the servants being given more talents than God could trust them with. That doesn't make sense. Surely they would fail, and God would know that, but God is fair. God does not give according to boundaries of personal schedule and work schedule. Amen. He does not give according to your availability outside of spending time with friends and family. We are here on earth to please the master, and God knows your ability. Amen. So in this parable, the master knew the servants can gain double. The master knew the servant with one talent could handle one talent and reproduce according to his ability. What we can also learn from the parable of the talents is how Jesus is. Jesus wants us to see how he is from this parable. That's why he shared it. This parable is illustrating who God is. How can we say we know God if we don't know the son? Here's the son, Jesus, telling us who he is. How do you know a person until you hear what they talk about? Remember in the word, it says out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So based on what people say, we will know them because they will talk about the things that they want to talk about. They will talk about the desires of their heart. Their character becomes evident. It becomes very clear. So in the parable of the talents, we can learn the character of God. And what we learn is he's fair. He's righteous. He's a just God. He gives according to ability. And he speaks so we may learn more of what he is like. He wants us to know him. So note also that the master is coming back. This is in verse 19. And it says, after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Again, Jesus is coming back. This is a very parallel story to what we know to be true and what will happen. Jesus is coming back. Our master is coming back. So again, Two of the three servants doubled their talents. They were given recognition in verse 23. Well done, good and faithful servant. And they were able to enter into the joy of the Lord. Don't you want that? I want that. We must be good and faithful. And we must have evidence of how we invested in the kingdom. Again, what did we do for Jesus? 
What are you and I engaged in today? What's eating our time? What excuses are we making? We better have an idea of what we're doing. Why were they able to enter into the joy of the Lord? Because they were faithful. If the master can trust them with small things, he can trust them with big things. That's the same for Jesus. If he sees that we can deliver on small things, he is going to trust us with big things. This is why the servant with many talents got another one. He was trusted. He had integrity. He was faithful. He was moving. Amen. He was productive. Only when we are productive can we enter into the joy of the Lord. Again, I want that. And I'm so afraid of not getting that. I don't want Jesus to be unhappy with me. I don't want Jesus to tell me I'm wicked and lazy. I'm working towards that. I'm working towards producing. I want to have fruit. So many fruits to show the Lord. Not only am I working towards that, I'm approaching it with fear and trembling. Amen? Let's focus on the servant who failed. This servant in real life, and you might know someone like this, this is the person who's always saying, oh, in God's time, and God understands why I'm not doing the things for him now. He understands that I'm planning to do things later. This is the person always talking about how they want to serve him in the future, but never now. You should know that faith is in the present tense. In Hebrews, you can be reminded of many examples in the Bible who exercised their faith in real time. If they said it, they were doing it. I'm talking about Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm paraphrasing here, but you can read that by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. You can also read what Noah did by faith, being divinely warned of things not yet seen. Moved with godly fear, Noah prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. You can also be reminded of Abraham in Hebrews because Abraham dwelt in the land of the promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, their heirs with him of the same promise. You can also be reminded of Sarah. Sarah herself also received strength to conceive by faith. In the parable of the talents, verse 24, Again, Matthew chapter 25, I'm in verse 24. This servant, the one who failed, actually reasoned out why he was unproductive. He gave an excuse. He tried to justify his actions, or should I say lack of actions. I knew you to be a hard man, he said. Would you talk to your master this way? I wouldn't. He knew Jesus was firm, seeking interest. And he said, well, I can't have nothing to show him, so I'm just going to hide it. So it won't be lost. That's why I did it. And that wasn't good enough. The servant had the ability, but he failed to work it out. He failed to labor in it. And this servant was so negative. Likewise, today, when someone is unproductive, they are negative. They always lean more on what will go wrong rather than what God will do when they move in the direction, when they move onto the path that they were called to be on. And these are just examples, but here's what that person says. Oh, let's go up. Well, no, 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 we better not go up because we'll just come down. So don't do that. Or they'll say, hey, let's live. And then they'll follow up. Oh, no, wait, don't do that. We might die, right? Very negative. Imagine 
going into the mission field, being led by the Holy Spirit to pray for someone covered in sores and boils. This servant who failed is the one that says, I better not pray for you. I might get sick. If you know your master, you know what he says. So the servant said, I don't want to lose the talent. So he hid it. Again, the servant tried to justify his actions, and clearly he did not know his master. He said he feared. He said he was afraid. But this was not genuine. I ask you, do you know your master? Do you truly know Jesus today? And I want to supplement our lesson by reiterating the following points. One, understand the meaning of the words that you're reading. Define the words from how it is used. We discussed the use of the concordance today. A diligent student would have to use all verses to determine a word and how it is being used. So if the Holy Spirit prompts you to study faith, read all the verses. Do not Google the meaning of the words. Google will misinterpret your word in most cases. Figure it out yourself. Number two, Jesus said, fear not the one who can kill the body. Fear him. Jesus wanted us to fear him. Because he can not only destroy the body, but he can cast our souls into hell. And it's a fear of reverence. Number three, you should know that there is opposition from Satan. And Satan is powerful, but God is more powerful. He is the most powerful. And I spoke on this in the very beginning. But remember the snake of Aaron and Moses from the rod? He ate all the other snakes. This is in Exodus. He ate the other snakes of the magicians and sorcerers. So don't be afraid that these things happened. Don't be afraid that witchcraft is real. Don't be afraid that it's happening today. Be encouraged by this because God shows his power. Amen. God is more powerful than any other. And fear not the power of others. Because again, Aaron's snake didn't spar with the other snakes. It wasn't a fight. It just ate the other snakes. That is power. Amen. The power of Satan and witches and demons are just a little snack for God. That is the God that we serve. In the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 verse 25, it mentions the word afraid. And I want to challenge you to also work out the meaning of this word for yourself. So I'm going to actually tell you how it's defined. And I want you to go to your concordance and try to work out the same meaning. So if you define it correctly through your concordance, you're going to see the true meaning. So again, we're in Matthew chapter 25, verse 25. This is the New Testament. So we're going to be researching the original Greek meaning. Whenever you look up the word afraid in your concordance, and then you find the mention, Matthew 25, 25, it's going to give you a number. You need to go to the Greek dictionary in the back of your concordance and locate that number. You're going to find a word that says phobos. It sounds like phobia, the English word phobia. And if you know what a phobia is, it's used to say, I'm afraid of that. So it means frightened, to be alarmed, or in awe of, reverence. The number that you're going to see is 5399 in your concordance. And it's going to link you to this word phobos. It's a Greek word. This is the original meaning. So let's talk about this mention of afraid briefly. So again, phobos means to be alarmed. You're going to see the words in awe of. Have you ever been in awe of something? Have you ever marveled at something? This world misteaches the meaning of awe. 
be sure you divide the word correctly. In the United States, we have uh, a landmark called the Grand Canyon. It's a crater and it's browns and reds. It's very beautiful. And many people see it and they're in awe of its wonder and beauty. However, the real awe, tying back to the meaning of afraid, is when you look down. Something so great, so deep, and if you fall, you're going to die. That is awe. That is the reverence. And this awe inspires obedience. You will be obedient, not in awe of beauty. Of course, Jesus is beautiful. God is beautiful. But we're not in awe of beauty. That's not why we obey. There's a fear and trembling. Amen. Fear is realizing the danger of the Grand Canyon. It's so deep. So of course you're going to be obedient and stay away from the edge. Why? Because those are the rules. Why is the world sugarcoating fear? This teaches people to fear God less. And this creates distance. And that's what Satan wants. Satan doesn't want us to understand that we must fear the Lord. And you know, it's very sad. It's very sad. There is a a mega church near me and they live stream their teachings. And I listened to it because I saw that they happened to be teaching on fear and trembling. And they misled the people so badly. One, they, they told everyone that they received salvation and they're saved. We have learned here over and over again that We cannot be assured by anyone else. We must be the one that has the idea of where we are going. We must be the one to work out our salvation. Not only did they do that, they said that, you know, you can be in awe of God, of his beauty. This is why the churches are in such a mess today. Earlier, we briefly mentioned Hebrews 11, 7. Move with godly fear. Remember, Noah feared God. God said a flood would happen. Noah had faith and fear and believed it was true that the flood was coming. So he built the ark in obedience. He didn't say, Lord, you're so beautiful. I'll build this ark. No, it was a respect, a godly fear. He warned others and gathered the animals as God said. He moved with godly fear. So who was the one in the parable to have fear? The productive servants, right? They feared the Lord. God is bringing judgment. He is the one who has the power to cast our soul into hell. Cast means to throw away like trash. I don't want God to cast anyone into hell. So we need to spread this necessity, this commandment to fear the Lord with trembling. The parable of the talents confirmed That the servant who did nothing was cast into outer darkness. That's hell where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. This should bring more understanding of fear. This teaching is often sugarcoated, as I mentioned, and a lack of teaching on the true fear of the Lord. This, when it's not being taught, it inspires people to live in their own bondage of personal lives and agenda, not a God agenda. People become slaves to their comforts. People become slaves to the things that they want to do. People become slaves to what the world says. Please help to teach the true teaching of fear. Help to tell others they must work out their own salvation. Help to produce servants who are productive. Pray for the Holy Spirit to convict the people. To convict this lukewarm Christianity that is existing today. This laziness must stop. If you want to enter the joy of the Lord, you cannot be lazy. 
Tell others of their accountability to rightly divide the word. Remind others that Jesus is coming back. The master is coming back and Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. So are you going to be prepared? He is looking at the hearts of the people. He is looking at your fruits. What did you do? What was your ability and what did you do with it? He is looking at the evidence of acceptable service. He is looking for those who are working out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Amen. Wow. I want to thank you so much for being here and for taking notes and just for listening. It's, it's such a burden. It's such a burden on my heart to see so many being misled. And the worst part is, it's 99% truth what's being preached from the pulpit, but omitting that 1%, not clarifying that 1%, it misleads thousands and thousands and thousands, and we cannot waste any more time. This is shared with the love of the Lord. I don't want anyone to be cast into outer darkness. Hell is not a place I want anyone to be. Fear the Lord. Move with fear and trembling in the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. This is Take It or Leave It. God bless you all.